0: Welcome to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. On this show, we feature different programs, individuals, and initiatives focused on being more inclusive of individual needs. We invite you to learn right alongside us. If you want some additional resources or access to our courses, please visit our website or follow us on social media. But for right now, let's get right to the episode. Coming up next on the Assembly Inclusion podcast.
1: The text should start to mold to you as the user rather than you having to figure out how to use it because it's built very rigidly. Um, So it will learn your face and your face expressions, your body and your body gestures and, and your voice and voice commands.
0: Today on the show, we're talking to Alex Dunn, founder of Enabled Play, which is a platform that is a combination of devices and services that can help make gaming more inclusive. In our conversation, we talk about how Enabled Play has started and has been successful as a way to make gaming more accessible. However, its reach has extended beyond that. We talked about the impact that it's had on computer science, in schools, and in speech therapy programs, and even in workplaces. I'm excited for Enabled Play to kick off our very first season because the product has really demonstrated how you could start with one problem, but it could help to solve a wide variety of other problems that exist. So, without further delay, let's dive right in and learn more about Enabled Play. Hello and welcome back to the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. I'm here today with Alex Dunn, who is the founder of Enabled Play and also the chief product officer at Voiceify. Alex, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you join us today. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So first of all, can you just start off by explaining what is Enabled Play for our listeners?
1: Enabled Play is basically a set of devices and services. It's more or less a platform that enables people, pun always intended, to use sort of whatever's at their disposal to play games, to control their programs, to be more productive and work and and so on in new ways. Essentially, it's a device that you plug in. It acts like a keyboard or mouse, like you would plug into any other computer or game console or something like that. And then it lets you start using offline voice commands, face expressions, body gestures, virtual hotkeys, macros, and and all that sort of thing to control your computer. So it can help with a lot of automation, but it was built for people with disabilities to be able to participate in a more inclusive way with technology where there's sort of a gap before.
0: And I'll get into the technical logistics with you in a little bit, but before I dive into that, I was wondering, what was the inspiration behind starting the platform? I always like to know yeah. what, what got people motivated to do this. Yeah,
1: it, it's there's a, there's a whole long story to it. I'll try to, to cut it up a little bit, but I have a, a member of my family who lives with disabilities, and it actually started because me and some of my siblings were trying to play Minecraft with him. He's sort of like pre-teens, like early teens, so to give you an idea of his age. And what we sort of noticed is that he he had a hard time with managing like a lot of inputs very quickly and so he couldn't basically keep pace with some of us which could be frustrating at times and sort of made him want to stop playing with us and it's not because he didn't have the cognitive ability to jump in and understand what was going on but it's because the sort of like rapid fast inputs and things like that that those of us who are able-bodied can do very quickly some faster than others sure but like generally speaking that to me was sort of like an interesting challenge. I was just like, well, why? Why is it that like just a game controller is not accessible? So I actually sort of started on a journey to kind of solve that problem in a couple of different ways. And what a Nail Play is, is certainly not the first iteration of, of attempting to solve that problem. I went through a few versions of trying to create different machine learning models that could learn how to play a game for you and try to like help sort of offset some inputs and things like that, all the way to like detecting like different music that's playing in a game to start offsetting things and I spent more time than I should have pursuing some of those things and you know what what ended up sort of coming about with enable play was applying what I actually do with voiceify which is voice and conversational AI and trying to turn voice assistant technology into something that could be an input so doing speech recognition and turning that into commands so you could sort of like say what you wanted your person to do in a game and it ended up sort of growing into more and more inputs the more that i worked with people with disabilities to understand what their challenges were as well the more that i sort of got to understand that But even things like voice commands are great and they're a nice tool to offset other inputs there's still so much more you can use and that's why my angle with enable play in solving the problem is i'm not the only person out there building assistive tech there's tons and tons of amazing people out there doing it but my angle is a little bit different i like to think anyway which is that the text should start to mold to you as the user rather than you having to figure out how to use it because it's built very rigidly. Um, so it will learn your face and your face expressions, your body and your body gestures and, and your voice and voice commands. Uh, and now folks are even using it for things like speech therapy and occupational therapy, even for nonverbal uh, students who are able to sort of play games when they're going through their therapy sessions and practicing things, even if they can't sort of pronunciate a full word, it can start to detect the difference in different vowel sounds. So the ooh, ahs, and e's even. And sort of, you know, it's grown from there. The inspiration started with my family and has turned into a sort of continuous inspiration as I I see and work with with more and more people with varying different disabilities and in very different sort of different ages and groups and, and parts of the world too.
0: I love the point you made about you shouldn't have to fit to the tech, the tech should fit to you. Yeah. my background was special education. and So I come at it from a learning perspective. Of, yeah. I hated having to fit the curriculum to this. I didn't think it was fair to have to force the student to do this particular totally. curriculum. We should be adapting for them. So when you said that, that was, that was yeah. perfect.
1: It's, it's speaking of like the education side, the devices were built originally for gaming. Like that was the original problem they set out to solve. And It's one of those things where you solve a sort of acute problem and you find that your solution actually helps in a lot of other ways. So I was actually presenting at a conference down in Kansas City and was approached by someone who was also a software developer who was like, you know, this is like way more useful than gaming. She's from Nevada. She was saying that there are students in the Nevada school districts that have a hard time going through special education into things like CTE programs or any computer programs like computer science programs, because computer labs are not accessible for them. The programs they use are not accessible, or even if they can use them, they can't move at the same rate as their fellow students. And I I sort of dove headfirst into that problem more so than I even have gaming lately. And and what I found is that it is such a, a low level issue right now that, we start introducing tech at earlier and earlier ages and more and more in school. When I was in school, I got in trouble for like pulling my laptop out to take notes because I had this big, beefy laptop. But now I tour middle schools and high schools and some of them will have either like rentable Chromebooks for kids to take notes or kids can bring their own or they'll have iPads or, or even in sometimes they'll use their phone for taking notes. But point being, we introduced that tech at earlier ages and... In doing that, we're setting up those students for success because technology drives a lot of our lives in the Western world anyway. And we do that at an earlier age so that they can accelerate even faster. The problem is with that acceleration is if you're a student who can't participate, who is not included in those, you fall behind at an accelerated rate. You just straight up get left behind. And to me, that's sort of like an incredible problem that I can't believe we sort of, as a society, at least here in in the U.S., like kind of let happen. So I very quickly started working with different schools, school districts, departments of education to sort of apply the same exact tech. Play is, it's a low level thing. It's just like having a keyboard that you can use in a new way and building programs around it too. So it's helping students that couldn't use the computer lab or couldn't use their computer at home or couldn't take notes with their computer because they couldn't use a keyboard. Maybe they could use like read, write or something like that to speak, but then it's noisy and it doesn't work that well and actually participate at the same speed. And in some cases move faster. And the sort of beautiful thing that came out of that is that It's not just the devices directly helping the individual students, it's the computer science programs that some schools are starting to build around it, where students going through CS programs are now also building on top of the platform for their fellow students and learning the value of applying technology to real human problems rather than building business apps or just building applications and programs in general. So it's been a really interesting journey in the education space for sure. And I think it's probably the best application for enable play more than even gaming in some cases.
0: That's something I hadn't thought about before. And when I came across your platform, that's, it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, you're right. It's not accessible to be able to learn to code and program all these things that if you're not necessarily able to do that on the computer, that could be extremely difficult. So I think that's why I was initially really drawn to your platform. I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And before I get into the technical aspects of it, you had mentioned on, I think it was a thread on Twitter for global accessibility awareness. And you, you mentioned yeah. it briefly of a few minutes ago about the fact that you were using it with speech pathologists, you had yeah. said, can you speak to exactly how that works with yeah, the platform?
1: So, so there, there's two sides to it. There's the nonverbal speech recognition, and then there's also the face expression recognition. Now I'm not a speech language pathologist or a speech therapist or anything like that. So I'm speaking to what the folks that I've worked with can tell me and how I can translate it. But you know, a, a lot of the different therapy sessions and the practice and the work that the students put in is enforcing new muscle movements and using new muscle groups in new ways in order to be able to do like chewing and swallowing more easily and in order to be able to start to create different word sounds from the beginning. And everyone's at a very different level. Obviously, everyone's very unique in those aspects. But the sort of tech level and how Enable Play works in those sessions is that rather than just sort of doing a monitored exercise to go through and and target a specific muscle group or target a specific movement, they gamify it. So they'll take the student to a computer and set up a game. And basically what you do with a NAIL Play is you do those vowel sounds as different inputs and you do the different expressions. So a Play can detect things like teeth gritting, mouth opening and closing, a kissing or puckering face, which are all very different movements that they try to target anyway. And so when you use those to control a character in a game, you actually make it something that's fun and repeatable and that the student or the client or the patient wants to do. And it's also something that now parents can take home and do where otherwise they'll go into the sessions with the therapist, they'll they'll put in all this work, and then they might have to wait a few days or a week or even a few weeks for some people and they lose progress. These are all things that I've been learning just from talking to different SLPs and OTs as well, just about the issues they're having in helping students and turning something in that aids can help with and parents can also help with at home and it's fun for the student has been like just invigorating for me to watch because it's not what I originally built it for but it's something that I'm, I build for now and can continue to develop features and new things to detect basically yeah, it's it, it turns into just playing games with different muscle and mouth movements and, and different voice commands
0: I could see that being super engaging too yeah. for the students just I mean because everything's so repetitive and having to practice over and over but mm-hmm. when you're doing it in the context of a game, it's, it's a little bit more enjoyable that you're practicing. Yeah. And I think that, especially in schools, the biggest problem tends to be that there's not there's not enough time. Exactly. I like you had said. You can give it to like a power professional or an aide. And yep. you could say, it's, it's already built. Just monitor them while they're practicing. They can practice at home. So there's a nice carryover. So if we could dive into the technical side of it hmm. for a second. So if somebody wanted to get started using enabled play for whether it's for gaming or for the classroom, yeah. what would they initially have to do?
1: Yeah, so if you're an individual, you, ba- you buy a device, you can just buy them off the website enabledplay.com and we'll ship them to you. And then it's basically you plug it in via USB to your computer or your game console, and then you download the mobile app. So it's on Android and iOS. And that's where you configure the device profiles, which is essentially what you do to, ch- to choose. Like if I say this or do this, it should do this on the computer move your mouse, click this button, hit this key, or do a chain of events called a macro. And from there, you just assign it to your device and you can start sending commands. So it can send the commands to your device from your app via Bluetooth or via an internet connection. And when you connect to the internet, you get auto updates as well. So as like new sort of inputs are supported, as new expressions are supported, new languages for voice commands are added. You get those updates automatically, but basically it's, it's a nice little mobile app with large touch target buttons. And it's sort of step-by-step make your profile. And from there, you tell it what you want to do. So if you want to start the microphone, it'll start listening on the device. So the device itself has the microphones, all the speech recognitions run offline If you want to do expressions, it can use your phone camera, which again is all run offline. Your video is never streamed anywhere. Everything is running either in the app itself or directly on the device. And you just combine the different inputs that you want to use. There's also things like tilt controls. So you can use like your phone or tablet to tilt and almost treat it like a mouse moving around or to like trigger certain commands. And you can use also virtual buttons or, or hotkeys is what they're called, which is essentially you just add them to your profile and it turns your tablet into this big grid of different buttons that you want to press to also do things. It's really great for people with fine motor issues, but have enough gross motor control to be able to like press a large sort of surface area button and have it do a number of things. That's basically it. You turn the profiles into whatever you want to control and you personalize from there. You can share them with others too, or use like some of the official ones that we use with partners to sort of get kickstarted. So you don't have to do everything from scratch and then just keep personalizing. And it starts to learn from what you do and, and how you control it. So it gets smarter over time too, which is really cool.
0: There's a couple different commands you had mentioned. Is there like a limit on how many different commands you could have for a profile?
1: I mean, technically no, right? So you could have like, there's over a di- million different voice commands. You could apply it once if you wanted in, in multiple languages too. For expressions, there's right now 18 different expressions that it can detect. It can detect eyebrow raising, mouth opening and closing, mouth sort of smiling or gritting, that puckering, head tilting and turning and... 12 different directions and sort of leaning back, leaning forward, leaning side to side and like ducking and rising as well. And then there's, in terms of the limit for like hotkeys, it's however many you can reasonably fit on your phone screen before the buttons get too small. And for tilt controls, there's four-way directional plus shake detection i've noticed that as a favorite of students is to just shake their tablet to like backspace in their word doc or something sort of like furiously erase what they wrote in terms of what it can output the limit is essentially all the keys that can be on a keyboard all the buttons that could be on a controller the three different mouse buttons left click right click mouse wheel click and then mouse movement but essentially what you want to use as an input there's an infinite number and you can combine all of those at the same time so like if you want to use voice commands and face expressions, do it. Right. Uh, the, you might want not want to use like mouth open and close while you're using voice commands because it might trigger while you're talking, but you know, you can if you want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's nice that you, the students can kind of then figure out what works best for them. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I love
0: the, the shaking to go to that yeah. space. And that makes logical sense too, right? Because you want yeah,
1: exactly. to get back so to
0: where you were.
1: The one thing I sort of thought of is like, oh my gosh, what are they called? Where you sort of like twist the two different dials and you can like draw shapes in like a linear way. Etch-a-sketch. Etch-a-sketch,
0: yeah. It's like
1: erasing an etch-a-sketch because you can sort of shake to erase it, but it's like erasing what you wrote on a computer. Oh, one other thing, by the way, is like I mentioned voice commands. I totally forgot about this. But so there's also a dictation mode. So you can control like, what words or words you want to use, like to start dictation. So for example, you can use voice commands in like a PowerPoint or like a Google doc or anything like that and say like, oh, save, right? If I say save, it should do control S. But then I can also say type and start saying what I want to type. So I could say type the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, save, and it'll type out all that and then save it too. So you can sort of mix like the dictation plus voice commands, again, plus face expressions, still controls hotkeys, all that good stuff all at the same time.
0: Oh, that's really nice. Sometimes with voice typing, people get frustrated if if it's set to a certain word and it types that word for them. So I like that you can mix and match and pair those voice commands along with the dictation and still have it be like a seamless process. You were just talking about the possibility of like if you were saving and working on a presentation or a document. I think it was on, I don't remember if it was your website or on social media, but I saw there was a video, right, of the person controlling the PowerPoint presentation using it.
1: I've done a couple of really cool examples of that. One, whenever I do like a conference talk about it and I'm like showing off the live demos at the end, I sort of reveal to everyone that I've actually been controlling my PowerPoints that way the whole time. They're like, oh my gosh. Yes, like you can, and the way I do that, by the way, I like to think it's clever, but it's it's so much work to put in. I don't like to script my talks, but I'll sort of have like each slide, I have like a word I'm going to end on as a segue to the next. And I have that as a command for like the right arrow key. So I can like, basically talk all the way through it and it automatically transitions, which is cool. But yes, yeah, so you can you can also control PowerPoints. I did a demo of that at the Nevada Computer Science Summit, which might be what you were referring to, where we built a PowerPoint, a little a little bit of it by like taking an Excel spreadsheet that we use voice commands to control and then said like turn that into a PowerPoint and it created a new PowerPoint file and pasted all that stuff in. And then I said, start presentation and it can start the presentation. Then from there, you can say next, 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 or use like head turning and tilting to like control the direction of the slides. So yeah, there's, there's a ton to be able to do. And and there's some like fun, immersive things to do with it. Like if I wanted to swing my arm a certain way and have that move my slide to the next one, there's some cool things you can do with it for sure.
0: I love that for, for the workspace too, like yeah. it's not just limited to, I mean, yes, you're presenting in the classroom and things like that, but going into the workspace as well. Yeah.
1: You know, the workplace stuff is something I've been focused on more recently. The same issues that we've been talking about in, in gaming and, and in schools exist for adults that are working as well. So for people that are hiring, especially in like office work, right? If you're using a computer in any way, but even if you're using like a point of sale in retail to, to create an environment that is actually inclusive and is accessible to people with disabilities is difficult for a lot of organizations because in order to do it at scale, they either got to buy like insanely expensive software, or they just sort of accept that a person with disabilities won't be as productive or will have a harder time doing the same work as someone else. But that's sort of like half inclusive from my point of view. So I have started working in using the same exact solution in the workplace too, because again, it's low level, right? It's just like a better keyboard and mouse and controller to do stuff with in ways that work for you. So in doing it for the workplace, what I do is partner with organizations that are hiring and want to create a more inclusive environment and a more accessible environment for their technology and basically work to pre-build some of those profiles for the programs they use. So for example, if you're using Salesforce or something like that at work and you have people answering phones and writing notes, we'll work to basically pre-create profiles for your Salesforce setup. So that way when people come on board, they can just get their copy of it. Then they can personalize it from there for their own use, but it's a great place to get started. The workplace, there's a huge need there. I'm trying to remember the numbers and I might misspeak about them. So don't take this as an absolute, but it's only about 25% of adults with disabilities actually work. And it's not because they don't want to, it's because the workplace is simply not accessible. And that's a US stat anyway. I can't speak to sort of the rest of the world, but to me, that's, that's kind of insane. Like people that want to be productive and want to do cool things at work just can't because other people decided that they're just going to focus on enabling people that are able-bodied. It's a gap that can be solved. And so for employers, it's an easy way to bring on new people and create a more diverse environment. And for people with disabilities, it's a tool to actually be productive in a fun new way too, without having to struggle through working with the hardware and software that's provided to you.
0: I think, and I think your statistic was, I think that number is pretty accurate. If I remember correctly from reading the research, it's a low number like yeah. that. And that's a great point because a lot more employers are, feel like, are looking to become more inclusive. But if you're going to be inclusive, you really want to make sure that you're empowering people with the tools right. to achieve to their highest potential. So I really like that you're working with the companies to really personalize it to what they need their employees to do. And then also on top of that, that's great that they could take that existing profile. They don't have to build it from scratch. Right. And, you know, tweak it to make it a little bit more fit to how they want it to run, but they don't have to start all over from the beginning to have that foundation. That's really
1: nice for them. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the thing is with disabilities is everybody's is different, right? It's even people, you know, with the same disability on paper have a totally different background and the way it sort of it shows in use of technology can be completely different. So it has to be something that can be personalized, but having a place to get started just makes it way easier because a lot of other assistive tech out there it's like manuals on manuals of like crazy ridiculous setups and you have to have an aid actually do that for you like i feel like that's just a gap on its own but for enable play it's really self-service to be able to personalize and it continues to personalize itself for you too the more you use it that's sort of just the ai behind the scenes for the voice and, and expression detection anyway
0: And that's great that it'll follow them all the way through. It's not just something that you'll see when you're in the classroom, and then you can't use it once you get out into the real world. So I wanted to know, what do you think has been the biggest success so far? What have you seen someone do with enabled play that you think, wow, this is exactly what I wanted?
1: Oh, man. So there's one thing in the gaming side, and then there's a ton in the education side. But on the gaming side, one of my first attempts at that problem was to make Dark Souls specifically, sort of the notoriously uh, the hardest game. There's a whole series of them, and I like playing it with my friends. And my goal is like, well, if I can make Dark Souls more accessible, then I can make all games more accessible. And there was a couple sort of marquee moments in in building Enable Play where I was able to play Dark Souls and newer games like Elden Ring without my hands and then also then help others do the exact same thing that can't use their hands. That for me was big. So I was like, wow, we really are solving the actual problem. Like the original problem, like hardest game is not playable by certain people because of a disability and seeing that become something that we can overcome. And then in the classroom side, it's been getting feedback from directly from students or from their parents and, and seeing not just the excitement from the student who's using the devices, but from their students around them sort of rallying around the ability to, to do more with it too. That was something I didn't expect to see, especially thinking back on my high school days where everyone's always angsty all the time. Seeing students happy to help and excited about it while helping solve the problem, that that was sort of big for me too.
0: It's truly becoming more inclusive then because you get, you have someone who is able to do something now that they weren't previously able to, even if they had, they had it, within themselves to be able to do it, but they didn't have the tools to necessarily execute it. And then having the people around them also be supportive. Yeah. What what new projects or updates do you have in the works, if you, can, if you can share any?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's a ton. The roadmap is, is pretty solid for the next year, at least. So a lot of my focus right now is on new inputs and new outputs is sort of always the thing. So learning from more people who are using the devices, like what else could it do for you? I'm being able to provide updates in real time. So More face expression detection, you know, there's a lot more to do around the mouth and jaw muscles, especially in speech therapy that can be useful to others as well. More languages and regions. As I've started to work with people in like Germany and Austria, adding support for those languages for voice commands as well has been an interesting challenge. Dutch too especially, then heading into other languages that are, that are not Latin based as well, continue to create a fun challenge. And then it's a lot of working directly with schools and departments of education. So creating new programs around them, we have a partnership program already to do those things, like I mentioned with the workplace, but the same thing for schools and like pre-building profiles and getting you set up and, and custom support and all that, but it's, it's going beyond that. It's a new content, new samples, new profiles out of the box. Uh, partnering with game developers to build official profiles for their games too, so that people who want to use Enable Play to play those games can jump right in as well. Same solution to the same problem like we talked about in the workplace and in schools, uh, but also for gaming. And then also new apps. So there's going to be a new uh, Windows and Mac app as well. It's not just going to be on mobile, which the really cool thing with that is if you're using windows machine you can use for example your webcam on your laptop or your desktop or anything for face expressions and then also use your phone for hotkeys and your voice commands all at the same time so it's like unlocking even more things to use together those are sort of the main things lots of new profile sharing and official profile stuff lots more in schools gaming in the workplace and new inputs and new outputs
0: that's a solid plan
1: Oh going yeah. Forward, I think <laughs>
0: there's a lot going on, which is great. That seems to be one of the amazing things about your platform is that you started on one problem and then really uncovered how it can be beneficial in so many areas. So I'm just, totally. I'm really excited to keep following it to see what other new ways people start using it. I think that's going to be really exciting.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I, I really can't wait. It's, it's literally what I live for is, is seeing people use them in, in new ways and seeing them solve problems that I didn't even know existed. It's amazing to see every time.
0: Well, Alex, I want to thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk more about Enabled Play and inclusive gaming and education with us.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm always happy to talk about Enabled Play and and what we're up to. So I, I really appreciate, you know, having me on the show.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. I hope the information in this episode taught you something new, gave you a new idea, or showcased a new perspective. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a review or comment. If you have a recommendation for an individual or an organization who would make a great guest, you can message us on Twitter or Instagram, or send us an email at assemblinginclusion at gmail.com. See you next time.